0: Making people's lives better.
2: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. Gluten
1: allergies, I'd say about a decade ago, was 1 in 2,500. Today we're hearing
2: about these allergies of 1 in 133. That's nutritionist and cookbook author Rose Reisman talking about the latest food craze, the gluten-free diet. She'll tell you how to figure out if it's right for you. Going to the chapel and going to get married. Glory Making a good marriage... At Any Age is the theme of a new romantic comedy that's a perfect summer read. I'll talk to the author, Kim Itzo, who wrote her first novel while holding down a day job as deputy editor of Zoomer magazine. Dancing, dancing and the music industry suffered another big loss this week. Disco queen Donna Summer died of cancer at the age of 63. We'll take a trip back to the 1970s and hear some of her songs that went straight to the top of the charts. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. We'll start here at home, where this week an industry task force called for sweeping changes to fix the system that cares for 77,000 fragile seniors in Ontario's nursing homes. The group is making a series of recommendations including setting up committees at each facility to fix its specific problems and respond to reported cases of abuse. It also wants more flexibility to fire abusive employees and specialized homes for abusive residents who suffer from dementia. Ontario Health Minister Deb Matthews says she will move forward with some recommendations but cannot commit to the large funding increase that would be required for the whole plan. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control says all Zoomers should be tested at least once for the liver-destroying hepatitis C virus. According to the CDC, one in 30 baby boomers has been infected with hep C, and most do not know it. The virus causes serious liver diseases, including liver cancer. The CDC said in a statement it believes routine testing will address the largely preventable consequences of the disease, especially in light of newly available therapies that can cure up to 75% of infections. Are you one of those people who can't even function until your first or sometimes second cup of coffee in the morning? Well, that may be a good thing. A new study suggests people who drink at least two cups of coffee a day may actually live longer than people who don't. The National Cancer Institute study found this lowered the risk of dying from a host of common causes by 10% for men and 15% for women. The researchers say the reasons are still unclear and the next step is to investigate the thousand or so compounds found in coffee besides caffeine. And finally, you might not recognize the name Don Ritchie, an 85-year-old Australian who passed away at the start of the week, but he died a hero who helped many people. Ritchie lived along the cliffs at the mouth of the Sydney Harbour, a place where many people tragically went to take their own lives. Since 1964, he watched from his home for troubled people who lingered near the edge of the cliffs too long. If he saw one, he'd go over, casually say hi, and ask if they wanted someone to talk to or at least a cup of coffee. More often than not, they did. And Don Ritchie is credited with saving over 160 lives. Last year, he was named local hero in the 2011 Australians of the Year Awards. Upon receiving the award, he said, We can't be afraid to speak up to those in need and to remember the power of a happy smile, a listening ear, and a kind word. Those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I'm Libby nimer and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. It's the latest craze in nutrition, and everyone from the world's top tennis player to professional runners is singing the praises of a gluten-free diet. We already know that people with celiac disease can't eat wheat products. But now thousands of others say they have an allergy or a sensitivity to gluten, and they feel better cutting it out. I'm here with nutritionist and culinary guru Rose Reisman to sort it out. I think, first of all, you have to
1: question whether it is the wheat. The wheat definitely in today's times have become more contaminated. I mean, gluten allergies, there was, you know, I'd say about a decade ago was one in 2,500. Today we're hearing about these allergies, one in 133. And something's going on for sure. And could it be the way our weed is being um, produced now? Might be contaminated. I don't really know. But the good news is that, you know, uh, suppliers, restaurants, caterers like myself have jumped on the bandwagon and really producing fabulous food for those that do suffer from eating gluten. And it's not like it was years ago where really the products were second rate.
2: Well, it really seems to be the latest craze. I mean, everyone from the Clintons, that famous gluten-free wedding cake, uh, to Novak Djokovic, the number one tennis player in the world, says he got to number one after he went on a gluten-free diet. And there you go. That's all someone has to say, and people are going to start trying it and believing it. How do you know if you would benefit from adopting a gluten-free diet?
1: Well, one is, you know, you you have to start almost keeping a journal. So what you want to do is if you notice you get bloating, I mean, I've had this at times where I've had some bloating and and just gastrinal discomfort. So you start looking at your diet. If you're a big dairy consumer or a wheat consumer, you start cutting those foods out, seeing if you feel any different. Um, And then slowly introduce gluten-free foods. Make sure you're eliminating the gluten and see if you feel better. But again, really true gluten allergies, you'd be allergic to a lot more than just the flour.
2: I have a lot of friends who jump on the latest nutrition craze, whatever it is, and then they say they feel better and who knows, it might be the placebo effect. So how do you know if this is something real or if it's just the latest diet craze? Um, I think a a true gluten allergy is real. You absolutely will
1: have discomfort. But again, as I said, you start looking at um, you know processed luncheon meats, that has wheat in it, Um, seasoned rice mixes, uh, soups and, and even vegetables and sauce. So If you're feeling better, I'm not going to question it. My attitude is if you're feeling better, I actually had someone say to me the other day, Rose, I went on a gluten-free diet and lost 10 pounds. Now, I went, wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, the, I, I don't want people to believe that. But then when this person told me what they did, they basically cut out all the carbs in their diet. So if you're going to do that, you're going to lose weight anyway, but that's not always a healthy diet. But again, you could experiment with gluten-free foods, like um, learning how to cook your rice pasta, your corn pasta perfectly is fantastic. So maybe after a big bowl of regular pasta in an Italian place, go home and make a corn pasta to see if you feel better, see if you have any discomfort. That's, that's the only way I really could tell you that you would know. What are some of the other things you can eat on a gluten-free diet? Well, you can virtually eat anything, meaning you can eat all your proteins, all your fruits, all your vegetables. The things you want to stay away from um, are wheat, barley, and rye. That's where your gluten is found. You have to be very careful of any packaged, processed, canned, or frozen foods because often that's where wheat can sneak in just for processing. So you really have to read those labels. So, I mean, I guess what's good about a gluten-free diet is the more natural your diet, the better it is, nothing processed, nothing packaged. Uh, a real gluten allergy, you won't step into a fast food place, even a restaurant, contamination.
2: I'm going to be a devil's advocate again. Sure. I mean, those processed foods are bad for you. And to begin with. they would probably... Make you feel bad Bad anyway. anyway, I I,
1: I totally agree. Um, You know what? My advice is really to, as again, read those labels and go on a real gluten-free diet for two or three weeks. That's what you'd have to do. But you have to be disciplined enough to go through your pantry and read and know what the other words are for wheat and say to yourself, okay, I'm not going to touch this. I'm going to make my sauces from scratch. I'm going to read every label. I'm I, Barbecue sauce has wheat in it. So what are you going to coat your chicken with? So if you really want to take it to that extreme and you really want to find out if you have an allergy, that's what you have to do. Sometimes people with gluten allergies, not celiacs, gluten allergies, if they take themselves off gluten completely for six months, they can reintroduce small amounts. You can't if you're celiac. So you've got to be careful of that. So having a gluten allergy today doesn't mean you have to live the rest of your life without gluten. You can reintroduce it.
2: When we see gluten-free cakes or breads or cookies, what are they made of?
1: Oh, different flours. So you might be using anything from a tapioca to a bean flour to a potato starch to a potato flour. And if people want to bake cakes with gluten-free, today you can actually go into your supermarket and buy a gluten-free flour. And believe it or not, they end up mixing about two or three or four different flours for the best taste and texture. So it won't contain wheat. But I tried one or two different flours and I got the best results from just using a rice flour. That was That was absolutely perfect.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Now, you alluded to the relationship between going gluten-free and losing weight. So let's get into that. Right. Um, I
1: don't think there's really any correlation there at all. But as I say, when I spoke to this one person, he swore that he had lost weight. But then when I really asked him and examined what he was eating, he was cutting out virtually. He wasn't going into quinoa and eating the rice passes. He just cut out carbs completely. Honestly, if you change one for one, if I have quinoa versus white rice, well, quinoa is way healthier for you, but not necessarily lower in calories.
2: Okay. Rose Reisman, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Libby. A pleasure. I'm Libby Zneimer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review on the new AM740. With work, family, and everything else, do you ever feel there's not enough time to follow your dreams? Coming up, Kim Itza will tell us how an hour a day was enough to fulfill her dream of writing a novel.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. This long weekend is the perfect time to set your
2: summer reading list, and a new romantic comedy has a special message— you can change your life and find love at any age. I'm here with author Kim Itso. She's the best-selling author of two nonfiction books and the deputy editor of Zoomer magazine. And The Jane Austen Marriage Manual is her first novel. Kim Itso, thanks so much for joining us. Anytime, Libby. Nice to see you. The Jane
3: Austen Marriage Manual. What made you want to write this? You know, it was because I'd just turned forty and I'd gone through a lot of things in my life. My grandmother who had raised me had died. And I wasn't working full time and I couldn't find a job it was during the recession. And I just was in a relationship that I wasn't very happy and I just sort of felt kind of at a loss. And I just went back to that old fantasy of, why couldn't I just have married a rich man when I was younger? And I said that to my friends as a joke. I thought you know it would be kind of a funny character to see this woman who's forty thinking, okay, that's my only option now, and just to go out there and make a romantic comedy. So it was a, writing it was very cathartic. It was a way of like cheering myself up to have this little fantasy of what could happen if I just put my mind to it.
2: Going out to find a partner is something that a lot of. Zoomer women and men yes. face is—is is there anything in this novel? Forties a little on the young side. Is there anything,
3: in this novel that that older people can take away? Oh, I think so. I think the the idea from the novel basically is never give up. You know, and because uh, the character in the novel is she, her one of her one of the women she encounters is someone in their fifties who's on their third marriage or third divorce, I should say, <laughs> and they both end up going out to look for for men together. And um, I think you just can't give up. You have to sort of pursue – you're in charge of your own fate and your own happiness. And I think with my character, I tried to show that, that she thought she wanted this sort of shallow, superficial relationship. But the idea of Jane Austen and making a good marriage and, quote, unquote, marrying well doesn't necessarily mean marrying for money. And I think that's something that any woman of any age or man can take away from it. So what does it mean? Marrying well? I think it means meeting your match, you know, good companionship, someone you connect with someone that you can fall in love with, and someone who makes you laugh. Because that's why I mean, it's a romantic comedy for a reason, you know? I think the character is funny, but I think she finds laughter in in, in the romance she does end up with.
2: Now, you are an accomplished nonfiction writer, but this is your first novel. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Because writing a novel is also, for the first time, is also something a lot of Zoomers have fantasized about, and, and some actually do. So how... Did you get your head around that? Tell me about that.
3: Well, I'd always wanted to write fiction, and my uh, education was in screenwriting. And so um, I just got to the point, again, when I thought, I want to write that novel, if not now, when? And I just sat down, and I just did an outline, and just made that commitment of writing at least an hour a day, because I work full-time. Took my Sundays and every vacation for a year until the book was done. I just was well, just very determined. And I think it's what you have to be when you start something new at any age. You have to just be determined to see it to the end. And I, my biggest advice would be finish the book. Don't keep rereading it until it's done. When you're writing as a journalist, you can sit down and say, okay, I have an hour to write this, because you already have your beginning, middle, and end of the story. With this, with a fiction, you know, who knows? Characters might do something you don't think they're going to do. I know it sounds kooky, <laughs> but it's true, right? You sort of have an idea of what comes to you as you're writing, and you might get to your a point you're like, I actually don't know what happens next. That's when I go for a walk or have a cup of tea <laughs> or take a nap or something like that. You know, it doesn't always yeah, – it's not always easy. I mean, it also sounds like it didn't take you that long given all the other things you were doing. Yes, it's true. It took me a year, um, which, yeah, I know some people work a lot longer on them. Uh, but then it was a year of re- – I would say i took me a year to do the first draft. And then it was another year working with my editor and agent to perfect it before the, it was sent out to be sold. So I would say really it was a two-year process before it was ready to be – be sold. And then I was lucky enough to sell it. So it was exciting.
2: Selling a book is no mean feat these days. I mean, what do you tell people in
3: terms of uh, how can you justify the cost of taking the time to write a book? Oh, gosh, justifying the cost. We certainly don't make a fortune. <laughs> so you do it for a labor of love. You don't do it to make money. Um, I justify It was just a need to write and, and really to get a story down and to prove that I could write a novel. Does anybody who is a novice of this, have, you know, a hope in hell of selling their book? Um, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, really, my three pieces of advice to anybody, and because I've been asked this, is definitely a, the first one is finish the book. You know, that sounds really simple and obvious, but it's not. A lot of people start and rewrite and, and, and rewrite, never get past chapter three. So finish the book, hire an editor, like a professional editor. Nowadays, the way publishing works is the publisher really wants a book to come in almost ready to go. Uh, I hired a freelance editor. Anyone can hire a freelance editor. They're an objective person and they're a pro. I would do that. And also have people, other people read it, not just your mom or your spouse or your child, you know but have someone who – everyone's got a friend who's really booky, who's in a book club and just, just reads like crazy. Have them read it because they read so much and get some opinions. And I did all those three things. So I think that's a big thing. But also self-publishing is a big thing that's come out. And I think uh, – more and more books are being self-published. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think this, like internet dating, self-publishing, the stigma is wearing off. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and do you have any advice uh, that you glean through the writing of the novel for Zoomers
3: who are looking for love? Um, Yes, get out there. You know, with my character, she didn't stay at home, you know, when she was lonely and unhappy. Like, she got out there. So, you know, if you find your interest, if you're passionate about art – you know, become a member of the art gallery, volunteer in the things you're passionate about. Then you'll meet like-minded people, and that's, I think, when you're going to meet the the, the person you want to be with. And what are your plans for your next novels? Well, I am right. I'm halfway through a second novel now, um, and it is also a romantic comedy, but it's also got a sort of I was going to say like a fantasy component to it, too—a little mystery fantasy element. So that'll be. It's been fun trying to do that.
2: Excellent. Thank you, Kimizo. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Libby. You can find Kim's new novel, The Jane Austen Marriage Manual, in bookstores and online at Amazon.ca. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to The Zoomer Week in Review. That's the queen of disco, Donna Summer. She passed away this Thursday at the age of 63. Coming up in just a moment, we'll remember her life and hear some of her music. Stay tuned.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm
2: Libby Snymer. This week, the music industry lost another legend. On Thursday, Donna Summer passed away from lung cancer, not related to smoking, at the age of 63. She was born LaDonna Gaines and grew up in the suburbs of Boston. From a very young age, she loved to sing. She often performed at her local church. Her mother once said she would sing through breakfast, lunch, and dinner. When she was 18 years old, she moved to Germany to take a role in the Munich production of Hair. From there, her stage career blossomed, and she went on to become backup singer for Three Dog Night. It was in this role that she met producers Giorgio Moroder and Pete Ballotte. They brought her to Casablanca Records and together they put out some of the biggest hits of the 70s. Love to Love You Baby, MacArthur Park, Heaven Knows, Spring Affair, Winter Melody and Bad Girls. She eventually left disco behind and went on to have a few big pop songs in the 80s, including She Works Hard for Her Money. However, her most popular hit was the 1979 single Hot Stuff. It took the number one spot on the Hot 100 Billboard and went on to win Donna Summer a Grammy for the Best Female Rock Vocal Performance. some of Hot Stuff, one of the many number one hits by the disco queen Donna Summer. She passed away on May 17th at the age of 63. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Nimer. I hope you'll join me again next week right here on Sunday at noon. This has
1: been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.